0: Hey everybody, Jamie Kelly here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Season 3 of The Approximate Podcast. Be sure to join our Patreon for only $5 a month to see all of Season 3's episodes in full HD video. That's patreon.com slash approximate podcast. If you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. And to everyone who's tuned in, we love you all. And now, on with the show. Kitty! Fucking stop it. God damn it cat yeah you boy (laughs) stink scrapple stop it all right cut we're done fucking cat god damn it hey 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 v how you doing sweetheart oh
1: i'm doing amazing amazing how are you
0: um i'm doing great i'm a little tired we just got back from the movies we just got back from barbie (laughs) we just got back from barbie as of the time of this recording we just saw barbie what'd you think
1: oh what did i think um (laughs) <laughs> I love that movie. Um, it feels weird to say after I've just seen it because I'm one of those people that like likes to... Percolate for a little bit. Right. Yeah. But, oh God, I love that movie. That was oh a my great God. movie.
0: First impressions. So fun. Yeah. So fun, this movie.
2: Wall-to-wall jokes with like
1: some really emotional moments in it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Really leaned into... I don't, I don't, I don't want to say what I thought it was going to be, but also... God, it, it did really hit all the marks that I wanted it to hit. It really felt
0: like such a good movie. I, it, it wound up being what I hoped it was going to be. Exactly. It, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, nine forms of like meta commentary right. and just just fun. Right. Like you could tell that they they had a mission statement and right. I think they, I, they nailed it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah.
0: Except for the fucking kids, the five or six kids that were sitting to my fucking left that would not shut up the whole goddamn time. Would not for the for the
1: life of me. I think I stared over at least five times.
0: Oh, I did it. I like I knew it started to be a problem about thirty minutes in. They, I knew they weren't going to stop. They so no I did. A, I did a creepy thing where I like leaned over, like I sat, leaned forward, and just looked at the lot of them, and just with my meanest old person stare. <laughs> and and get off my and and, they, lawn. and the thing is they caught me one at a time from closest to <laughs> furthest. the first little fucking thirteen year old girl looked over and immediately went, oh shit and and hit her face in her hand oh, Lord. <laughs> once the other three realized that she was being quiet, they looked to see what the fucking problem was, and the problem was me, and they all shut the fuck up, and then they didn't yeah they they, they, they waited sort of for the now. loud parts to come, and then they would go on and on, and then I'd do that bit again. And every time I leaned over and gave them a more and more severe and creepier look, and then I'd start to shush them. And then eventually I got to a point where I just just out and out and said, shut the fuck up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I heard the shut up. Like, yeah. I was really engrossed in a movie. I just had two little uh, teenager girls that were like whispering next to me to each other. And, you know, that's whatever you whisper in a movie sometimes to each other about parts and stuff. And they were watching it. But I was just engrossed in the movie. But I heard you say, shut up. Because <laughs> I was, I
1: was like, oh. there was no whispering happening with yeah. that group. They right like totally just talking and they were doing it during the previews too and I
0: was wondering hmm
1: is this gonna be one of those groups Mm. that just kind of has a conversation in the middle of a movie
0: yes yeah yeah they were And the thing is this is something I would have been shy about maybe not even like more than five years ago I would have been I just would have sat and ground my teeth and took it Mm. but now I'm old and (laughs) I don't care and it costs so much money just to get the tickets right just to get the tickets was like uh, fucking fifty dollars. Opening know? night movie. Opening <laughs> night movie. It's six thirty yeah. p.m. Right. Yeah. And like, and you kids know what I had to do to get that 50 bucks? Right.
1: You know what your mom had to do to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, so let's, yeah. let's act a little like accordingly, please. Yeah.
0: I was half a click away from opening my cup and chucking ice at him. <laughs> that was my next plan. That was like the next move.
1: Go, go, just go. Just get out. Just <laughs> flick them. Just flick them.
0: <laughs> well, what are they going to do? They're 13. I'll just stand up and then they'll piss their pants and <laughs> fucking <stuff laughs> reals. But uh, yeah, but it didn't completely destroy my enjoyment of such a a wonderful movie.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Next is Oppenheimer, and I'm sure they'll be there too. (laughs) Oh, you know, no, no, I don't think I don't think think the kids are going to Mm -mm. Mm (laughs) Oppenheimer. Yeah. God, I have to see that one. I I really want to know what that one's like. Or
0: I will become death destroyer of worlds, and (laughs) (laughs) I'll put the the nuke
2: nuke, nuclear bomb there. Put down,
0: yeah. But with all that being said. we have been waiting so long to have you on the show. Oh, yeah, and it it took some pulling strings and some planning, but we we finally did it.
1: Yeah, to get me all all the way out here to Las Vegas. Yeah, Hot you're coming to Las Vegas.
0: Well, for the listening audience, uh, tell for people that might not know you, or for people that are just like aching to hear you, introduce yourself, please. Mm-hmm. By all means, introduce yourself. Where are you from? What's your name? What do you do? <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I am Vanille.
0: I am from New York City. I do a lot of porn. I make
1: a lot of things on the internet that have to do with my penis, um, and that's my bread and butter. That's that's the way I get my rocks off, and the way I make my checks, and that's what I keep hope to do forever.
0: <laughs> so you're you're in good company. Yeah. This is yeah, this is all of our mo. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, what I love to talk about, like right off the bat, um, especially for like all first time guests, mm-hmm. is. I want to know everything about your story, like how you got into this business. What were the humble beginnings?
1: Ooh, the humble beginnings. The humble beginnings was... Feel free to go along. <laughs> so first of all, I am a Tumblr girl. If, if there are any Tumblr girls out there, not that you'll probably know me, but we probably ran in the same circles. <laughs> I was on Tumblr from the time that I was 13 and the time that I was like 25. And around 20... I realized that I could make money by uh doing something that I was already doing, which was posting lewd shots and posting naked shots and things like that.
0: Where did the impetus for like uh just doing that for free come? just like just
1: oh it came from it definitely came from my uh <laughs> I have a little bit of like a voyeuristic thing to me. I definitely like for my body to be seen. I definitely uh like seeing the effect that my body has on people. Um, and I liked that since I was like 19. And um, then I realized I can actually make money off of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like a little business.
0: You can absolutely be.
1: Yeah. And then I started with Chatterbait uh, camming. And I
0: realized that. So, was that the next logical step? You, you thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do something with this. Yeah. Let's so, try out camming.
1: Yeah. So I started. So when I really, really started, it was like 20 bucks a picture or 20 bucks for a set. And I was working retail at that time. And I was working retail at that same job for like four or five years. And then I randomly one day got fired. And it felt. What did you do? What did I do? <laughs> I went to Chatterbait. <laughs> mm. I said, that's when I started camming on Chatterbait. And that's when I realized that.
0: No, what did you do to get yourself you fired? Oh,
1: oh, okay. <laughs> so this is funny. Um, I don't know how funny it is. But during Christmas, I had this one department manager who. Had these friends that, you know, would come and buy things for their children, which is totally fine. And that manager was running, running the cash register. And her friends and her friends' friends of her friends were at my register while her friends were at hers. Yeah. And she was ringing up everything that they had for a dollar or three dollars and things like that. And they said, why can't I get what they have? And she told me to do it. So I did it. Three weeks later, like a SWAT team, like of uh, oh, no. people in pantsuits <laughs> oh, no. came and was like, "You guys have been red flagged. What's going on? This is crazy." And so, yeah, me and that lady got fired. Oh, um,
0: would yeah, they was, like uh, chalk it up to just after? was
1: that what it was? Or I mean, pretty much. Like when you when you change the price of pretty much, and they had yeah, a lot of stuff. Wow. It was Christmas time and they were packing it in. Your friend had to know better. Yeah, and she was not my friend. She oh. was the manager and I had to do what she took. I didn't have Your to do what she told me to do. Had but to know better. Yeah, but that's what she told me to do <laughs> and so I did it. You, um, you were just following orders? Yeah, yeah I'm, just, you <laughs> know, I'm just a little girl following orders. Yeah. I didn't know better. <laughs> um, But she was a piece of shit. Yeah.
0: So now you're done in for embezzlement.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fraud. And so I realized that. Chatterbait was a much easier time, <laughs> much less things to deal with, um, and much more money.
0: Much more money. Much more money. High like, yield.
1: <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spending like eight hours at a retail store and making 50 bucks after taxes. It's
0: draining. It's life draining. It's
1: very draining. It's soul
2: draining. You get that first S-dub check and you're like well fuck everything else right yeah (laughs) yeah
1: and like you know like sex work is a lot of work as well but it also feels like i have a creative outlet that isn't a soul-sucking job you know and that's what i've and that's i didn't know that's what i wanted Mm -hmm. or i didn't know that's what i what i needed but it most definitely was what i needed
0: yeah it's uh you become an entrepreneur yeah. You, you kind of trip backwards into being an entrepreneur. Right. So yes, there is a lot of work involved with sex work. I mean, don't get anybody fucked off. There yeah. absolutely is. Oh, For, yeah. The kids up and coming that are watching this, yes, it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But the thing that keeps people like in the game long term is they get that. If, I find this like the same story time and time again that uh, that sense of satisfaction that comes from being your own boss, and there's 100%. a sense of autonomy. One hundred percent. And that is something that a retail job or a you know labor it just you, you can't it get it doesn't
1: get you don't get it and for creatives like us we need outlets we need to know that our art is being not even just seen but made yeah like we need to know that we finished a project and we've put it out and Absolutely. that's what brings us happiness and that's what brought me happiness even if it was like smaller things that i did on my phone i still felt creative and i still mm-hmm. felt like my work was being appreciated which I never felt in retail, right yeah, right. Yeah.
2: you're just part of a machine there, yeah. yeah You're actually able to express your passion and stuff here. and then also that first, like that that paycheck is always going to be it's a higher amount than what you would get like working a whole week or even a whole month at another job.
0: I spent 10 years from the age of 16, eh? we'll say nine years. from the age of 16, almost the day I turned 16, I was anxious to work. I was anxious to like have some money. From 16 to 25 years old, working just ever you name it, uh, my friends and I, we counted it up at the time because it became a joke how I couldn't hold on to a job. Survey taker, food service, uh, retail, construction, you name some kind of dumb fucking menial job and I've done it. And I could, like, I specifically remember, like, being 19 and stocking shelves at a a local Mm drugstore. And I remember it was was so bleak. Nobody was in the store. I was stocking candies, bags of candies. Nobody was around. And Muzak was playing. Mm -hmm. And there was the flickering of those fluorescent lights. And I looked around, I looked to my left, I looked to my right. It was the most, we didn't have that word when I was 19, but everything about it was like disconcertingly liminal. Mm-hmm. It, was like, it was like I was in a bad dream. And mm-hmm. I, said, I said to myself out loud, I can. I don't know what's stopping me from dropping this bag of candy and running. Right. <laughs> running. Right. And it took another six years of feeling that and progressively feeling worse and worse mm-hmm. before I tripped backwards into right. that, into the business that we're all in now. And then once you get that money and you realize how, quote unquote, easy it mm-hmm. can be. Now, you're still new, you're still naive. You don't realize right. how much work it's going to take to maintain that. Yeah. But wow. that initial spark of, wow, I made in one hour mm-hmm. what would have taken me normally two weeks mm-hmm. of feeling awful about myself and it just happened and that, that you could just do this. Yeah, I was. I I knew I'd never go back. Yeah. I'd never go back.
1: One hundred percent. I will never ever go back. I will either work to the bone to make sure that I like never have to do, even if I can't do this anymore, that I never have to go back to like something so soul crushing. Or I'm just gonna fucking keep doing this literally into the day I drop. Like I, yeah. there's nothing stopping me. My body, my toes. From being posted on the internet. (laughs) Nothing stopping me.
0: So it started with Chatterbait.
1: Mm -hmm. It definitely started
0: with Chatterbait. How long were you doing Chatterbait? And like, what kind of professional growth did you feel from there before you moved on to whatever the next thing is?
1: I was doing Chatterbait consistently for a few years. And that's definitely where I got my sense of like, oh, okay, I can like, kind of like dress up Barbie. Like, that's where I got my sense of like, this can kind of be a fun little thing for me and I can also just test out outfits and ideas and also just hang out with people. And so that I did, so that was like very much kind of like my cauldron of like creativity and where I just kind of like threw ideas at people and and outfits and things like that and see what they, see what they thought. Um, And so eventually I progressed into doing productions because um, I always kind of wanted to but I never kind of wanted to get into the kind of like the
0: when you say like elaborate on productions what does that mean to you what was the definition of production
1: to so you? the definition of production to me at least was at you gotta have time. at least three lights and you oh, so, so like recording
0: your own clips uh, mm-hmm. yeah okay so making your own quote unquote porn scenes right
1: Okay. Right. Yeah. okay yeah in my room just like Sheet behind me, three lights
0: in front of oh, me the old the old sheet and the uh, the cheap Amazon light three yep. light kit. Yep. even if it was the three
1: lights, I don't it mm. could have literally just been a ring light, right? But yeah, that's where it started. and um, just sort of progressed from that into eventually just getting a, a, a different people. i I don't know how. I, I always knew that I wanted to though. I knew that I wanted to do production and I knew that I wanted to create stories and create scenes. Um and I just eventually uh had this idea for Mostly Pick's House, which is just like a full reality
0: TV. I was going to ask like, okay, y- you're about to lay something down heavy on us <laughs> that I was I was going to get to later. Yeah. But let's go ahead and do it now, like explain what this is.
1: So, Mostly Pick's House is pretty much just a full reality TV uh spoof pretty much, mm. porn spoof almost. Um it came from the idea that uh i went until i realized that most of all reality TV is fake anyway and all it takes is <laughs> i thought all it took was like five people being in the same room but then i realized that it didn't even take that mm. they can literally just be edited to seem like they're in the oh, same room yeah. and it works mm-hmm. perfectly uh-huh. and that was the that was very fun seeing and playing with this medium pretty much reality TV medium first person sort of thing and uh, seeing how works, see how it worked
0: am, am i forgive me if i'm sounding naive or, or stupid or I'm wrong-handed about this but was it essentially like a facsimile of a reality tv show with the underlying like you know selling point being that it's porn right yes is, is that what it is
1: yeah okay. it was uh sort of like reality tv but in your face about what the end will be which mm. is porn mm. um and i found all reality tv to be kind of like this thing where they don't tell you or you don't you don't really know how it's all going to end mm-hmm. or whatever. And I thought it'd be really fun and really nice if the end was porn, obviously. Like, let's just have them fuck
0: because that's... Right. That's, that's how we open the thing. wallets.
1: Right. And that's also what people <laughs> yeah. in the reality TV houses are doing. They're just fucking and no one's recording it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. You're just you're just giving them the extra stuff, Right. Uh, right. No yeah. one's recording
1: yeah. that stuff because you can't put it on cable TV.
0: Was this produced as like an episodic series or was it like one long movie or it was
1: uh, it was made to be an episodic series I definitely wanted it to because reality TV has episodes it has to have episodes weekly episodes and you have to feel like you're gonna like it's gonna be like this culmination of all these characters and people evolving storylines, right. That don't really know each other, but mm-hmm. they're now going to know each other, you know, yeah. reality so,
0: TV, which is, so it was made the function as if it were an actual like primetime series.
1: Almost. Yeah. But totally just a joke. And I do Ooh. love that medium. And I kind of want to do that again because it's really, there's so, there's so much, uh, stuff in reality TV that just sort of, uh, Is hilarious and no one talks about, and it's sexy also that no one talks about.
0: What I find fascinating about this is it sounds like a a, like a a big undertaking. Mm. So, what did it take to? What were the logistics? What What did it take to put it together? It
1: was actually not that not that hard. No. So once I like realized that the people didn't actually have to be together in order to make a reality TV look like it was together, it became like oh, you just come on one day, you just come on one day and film. And then the next person just comes in the other day. And if we have any idea of interconnecting those in time, then we can use them. But, like, it did not matter. It really just seemed like four people living in a house and none of those four people saw each other the entire time. By by the power of editing, yeah, I have the paycheck. Editing (laughs) is a beautiful magic tool that you should appreciate and try to cultivate your film through. Like it does not just take what happened in real life. Don't don't just take that and try to put it, you know, well, that's into where, video form. I mean, you can.
2: That's where your story comes from is from the editing. That's where you're crafting it all
1: together. Right. And that's where the magic can happen as well cuz you yeah. can I mean, you can just change a whole plot through editing. And that's what real a lot of reality TV does as well. They you know film these people for however long and then they go in and they're like "Mm, all right and then that's the whole story right there in front of you and that's what i did yeah so so cool so yeah so cool and also kind of easy it's reality tv is a little tiny 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 bit lazy maybe but it makes for really good porn
0: it feels like the thing that like made it quote-unquote easy and that it, it felt like you were doing something is that you you had a vision. Right. You know, you had a you weren't just like uh I don't know, I'm just going to you weren't just cobbling stuff together as you went along. I hope that at the end of the day it'd be something. You went in with a vision.
1: True. Yeah. And I and during that time I had I had already been um watching a lot of reality TV for the purpose of just research because I knew that um I can't just you can't just uh make things or you can't make them at least with appreciation if you have not experienced the other ways in which this has gone. You know, if you haven't seen the worst of reality TV, then I don't know how good of a reality TV show you can make, you know? Absolutely. If you don't know how bad it can get, (laughs) then how do you know how good it can get? You Uh,
2: know what I mean? No pitfalls to avoid, right?
1: Right, correct,
0: yeah. Yeah. Did you learn any, like, um, human lessons under, like, through this undertaking? Did you figure out things about, like, scheduling or uh, picking people that would foster a certain kind of chemistry? Or were the mistakes that you, like, if you were to do it again, well, here's what I'd do different yeah, kind of thing.
1: If I were to do it differently, I would definitely um, try to have them connect a bit more. I ah. would definitely try to have there to be a bit more chemistry. Intimacy. Um, yeah. I think that... Um, I wanted it to be easy, easy enough to where I would just sort of have me as the main character. And that was just easy. And I don't want it to be just easy for the next time. I want it to be something that feels
0: more substantial.
1: Yeah, you know, and that doesn't just mean having me as the main character, because it's literally just the most easiest thing I can think of. Right. I. You need substance. You need someone that can... Uh, deliver what you want them to deliver which i mean i can but like at the same time i am the person having the the vision right so So
0: what i'm hearing if i were to like put a little bow on it casting yeah casting is is a thing if it's a visual production endeavor Mm -hmm. and you're trying to tell a story you know uh that's why they have casting directors correct you know I don't know what people think of when they think of movie making and how it all works. Mm -hmm. And they think, uh, well, the director has the vision and the writers tell the story and then you just hire good looking people. (laughs) No, they're like, in order to make something so simple Mm -hmm. as an end product, it takes so many disciplines, scheduling and timing and delegating responsibility for something that seems as simple as casting, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why they have casting directors because that is a whole discipline unto itself,
1: yes. 100%. Yeah. I, you've uh been in the producer's seat for a little bit yourself now, yeah. not even for a little bit, for a while, sure, yourself. sure. yeah, so yeah. I'm I've sure. taken
0: enough ibuprofen, yes.
1: <laughs> do you feel like it fulfills you in the same way, even though you have to do all of these or not do all these things? Well,
0: really? that's the thing I've learned over time. I've been in it so long that I've learned all these little ins and outs uh, granularly. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, What it is, is a culmination of a lot of mistakes being made yeah. and then learning the, the big main takeaway after years and years of uh, quote unquote producing or directing. It really comes down to having something that's worth putting time into like mm-hmm. a vision and then, not being greedy about it, which is to say, patience is everything. Mm-hmm. If it's a project that's worth doing, yeah. it's worth taking your time. And then it's worth raising the capital and delegating responsibilities to professionals mm. that can like help tie, yeah. tie all those little uh, disparate details together right. so that at the end of the day, once everything's done, You can sit there at the editing bay Mm -hmm. and actually piece it together. Actually, like craft mold. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you you give yourself you give yourself enough clay to work with Mm -hmm. that you hope you know helps manifest and take shape over this vision that you had. And it takes so much time, and it takes so much money, and it takes like meeting people and networking and. There's so much yeah, that goes team. into it. It, it takes th-
1: a team. I, I've i had this conversation with my partner a lot where I'm just like, God, I really just want to make these things by myself. I don't want people's hands in it because I'm worried that they're just not going to see it and they're going to want to change it. And they told me, you have to learn let to go. delegate. You have to let go. You have, you have to, to de- let go. Yeah. If you want these projects to be... Even these projects, to be actually even the vision that you want, mm-hmm. you have to have a team and you have to let go.
0: This idea that uh like a, an author or a director is responsible for the end product of everything is simply a manifestation of giving the audience mm-hmm. an easy story mm-hmm. that, that's all it is it it It's essentially just promotion, yeah, give like here's the thing. And don't you know it all comes from this name? This
1: little mm-hmm. hand. This little, this little
0: brain. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and that gives, you know, that gives like an easy narrative, you know, and that's, that's why we say, well, I love Steven Spielberg. I love mm-hmm. Wes Anderson. I love this and that. Sure, you can absolutely love those, all those people. But I think, you know, hey, as a film buff myself, I'm sure you're the same way. I think... People that put their hands in it and try to do anything, even mm-hmm. on a low level, mm-hmm. immediately get begin to appreciate that it is a huge undertaking that involves so many people.
1: Yep. So many hands, so many brains, and you have to, like, learn to be one of those brains yeah. and not, like, some sort of head brain.
0: On On this show... We always praise the production assistant. We always praise the PA. Mm-hmm. The crazy. unsung heroes of what it takes to make something manifest. You know, yeah. it's catering. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Catering saves your life the on people
1: s- were starving <laughs> the entire time. There's no way anybody's gonna work.
0: There you know, it's it's all the people that it just takes it. It takes a village. Yep. it takes a village. Every
1: yeah, every single you, time.
2: If you love a director, you really love their team.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's
0: the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the narrative that should be sold. Well, yeah, yeah. You like a, a fucking uh, Wes Anderson movie? Well, no. What you like is all the years and all the experience it took for this guy to build a team who mm-hmm. now couldn't even function without that team. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's what you gotta you know be appreciative of.
1: One hundred percent. And, you know, I love movies as much as the next person, but we got to remember that there is lives and livelihoods behind those movies that aren't just these big, giant, big, giant names, you know? Right. They're they're everyday people just like us that set up the lights and they set up the, make sure everyone knows their lines and has their scripts on time.
2: Makeup lady, choreographer, PAs, you know, go down the list.
1: Lot of things that have to be done in order for a movie to even seem relatively good. <laughs> right. Relatively good. Yeah. You know?
0: So that brings me back. Uh, we're going to work it like a uh, Quentin Tarantino script. We're going to go, we're going to dip <laughs> back and forth in time and try to make sense of a story here. <laughs> this project that we've just been talking about, there wasn't anything in between the chatterbait sessions and this project.
1: So I did a, f- a bit of solo work. And I did a bit of partnered scenes, but they really were just kind of clips. They weren't any, like, Mostly Picks House was the first time that I tried to cultivate one of my ideas into something long form that could even kind of just be made into a movie if I wanted to. Um, but something that, you know, people could watch for longer than 15 minutes. Right. Um, that was Mostly Picks House. That was my first and really my my biggest one, really. Um and I do, I do, and I have made scenes since, and I have made clips since, but I have not made any sort of episodic or big feature. Right. Mainly because of, yeah, my, 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 my issue with delegation, my issue with...
0: I absolutely understand. A few episodes ago, Tom R. was sitting, where you're sitting now, and I was talking about how, just like you said, I was in the same boat. Like, I needed to do everything yeah. myself because of that sense of quality control, that mm-hmm. sense of having a vision and sticking to it. And I remember when I was at like my, we'll call it quote unquote worst at being that thing mm-hmm. before I learned how to let go. Mm-hmm. And and he had a similar story and it's it's not an uncommon story for ambitious people that want to get something done. We find that that's the case many times over. And uh, part of the process of becoming a storyteller, becoming a filmmaker or a songwriter, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it takes delegation. Right. So I say that to say this. When did, quote unquote, professional studio shoots start mm-hmm. to come into play in your line of work?
1: So those started to come into play around 2019. My first shot was Groovy. Um and then i've done a little things for trans angels and things like that so that is to say i were they exciting no like were they memorable not really it was me, a gig yeah it was kind of just a gig um and i kind of make more money camming than i have ever on a photo shoot
0: this i I love this perspective from you because we have a, a lot of folks on and there's no right or wrong way to think i gotta right. i got a preamble yeah. okay there's no right or wrong way climbing your personal ladder given all the kinds of tools we have studio shoots are a kind of tool that we have mm-hmm. you know but it a lot of times more often than not we're talking to performers that view the studio shoots as a benchmark, as like a, a thing that needs to be done and needs to kept, keep being done to, in order to either stay uh, publicly relevant or, or whatever. But, but you were just nonplussed by it. Yeah, you didn't no. give a shit. It was just a thing.
1: Yeah. You, you can. It is something that I do recommend doing if it's something that you feel like you can do because it's good to know that was my first time seeing someone set up more than two lights. You know, that was my first time uh, dealing with not dealing, but like being with someone that I didn't even have to delegate, but just sort of like knew what they were doing on their own. Yeah. And I was just sort of like the model. And that was the first time that's happened. Cause like I said, I want I always want to like do things by myself. So um, it's, it's a really good like stepping stone, at least for me, it felt like something that, I should do at least once, but not something that I felt like I had to do all the time. It's not enough money. It's too much time. And uh, it's just its just so much easier to go on cam. Yeah. It's so much easier to just go on cam than it is to like sit in front of actual. So you, know, you
0: never like had to like, uh, it never occurred to you like to, what's a gentle way to put this? A sense of validation. Was never handed down to you by working through the studio system.
1: No, no, I always felt a little bit like a, a little bit like an outsider, like someone that is just sort of here, and that's always been fine to me. I've always felt like that since high school, since middle school. Um, I'm kind of okay with being the underdog. It's a fun place for me. Um, but I also really just enjoyed working for myself, and I. It's hard for me to not see shoots and modeling as another boss. Um but it's very easy for me to just like feel like I can cam whenever I want to and I have my own like autonomy because of that.
0: I love this. I love how self-possessed you are. Like this is you sound like a very healthy person. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm I a have. very healthy person on the inside.
1: Yeah. And I mean I have burnout too. Like I I definitely sometimes can't cam sometimes because I just have been camming too much and Everybody needs for self-care days. 100%. absolutely never, ever feel like, even if you are doing sex work and you make your own hours, that does not mean you need to work all the time.
0: Mm. Right. I have this joke about, you know, being the kind of folks that we are where we're constantly doing everything our, ourselves. And I always say that, well, every day is a Saturday. So that means no day is a Saturday, which means right. you got to pick your Saturdays. <laughs>
1: Which sometimes can mean that you're you don't realize it, but you're working. You've been working for like three weeks straight with no time off, and you're feeling a little down. Maybe you need to like stop working for listen a while. Listen to your body. Yeah, listen to listen to what's going on inside. Exactly. You can't. You you are. You can work as much as you want to, but you're not actually a workhorse. You can't just like mm-hmm. keep going like that.
0: I know. It, it, it for ambitious folks, it can be tempting to do that because mm-hmm. you feel be like you're you feel that. like
1: you're on top of the world, and it it becomes more and more true that you are the master of your own money and that you can make as much money as you can make. But that don't mean that you're a fucking robot and you can go all the time. You're not a machine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like, uh, uh, behind the scenes, before the podcast started, I was telling you about how I haven't, like, all of 2023 – and a little bit of 2022, mm-hmm. I haven't really done a whole lot in front of the camera, and that's purposely so because I felt, you know, that it was time to take a break. Mm-hmm. And in in the meantime, I put on a little, I put on a little, you know, me weight. Put on oh, a little, yeah. maybe maybe fuck everything. I'm doing okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's time for a little bit McDonald's. You know, it's time for a little bit. Damn right. <laughs> And, and yes, I absolutely plan on getting back in front of the camera and everything, and I'll, you know, lose the weight and everything. But for now, it's me time. It's damn right, yeah. And it's fine. And, and I get to spend other places that have nothing to do with looking good for opening some, like, horny dude's wallet. Right. Do this podcast. That's what we're doing now. That's where all the energy's going. 100%. And this is a much healthier thing, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to call them passion projects, but you have to take
1: time to do the th- like the projects that you Absolutely. want to do in this kind of work, even uh, being a producer, sometimes we end up taking things that we would rather maybe either change or maybe just not take altogether. And so when we can actually do something, even with just our money, we really want to do it. We want it to be done. And I think that's a beautiful thing about sex work, honestly. Yes. Honestly, I do. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we take this for money and just do whatever we want, whatever the fuck we want to do with it.
0: Yeah, I've always thought of it that way. It's, it's not that, like, again, it, I, I never got the sense that it was like quote unquote free money. It's mm-hmm. that money that not everybody can be as profitable as the next person. Mm-hmm. But in my weird, tiny little niche of life, my own personal story, I've always thought of the money I was privileged to make. Mm-hmm. And I always thought of it as capital for other things, for the music making, for the, right. you know, the, the making videos that had n- nothing to do with, mm-hmm. the, with the adult entertainment industry, 100%. you know, taking care of my family, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of my friends, uh, yeah, I'm right. that kind of thing. That's, that's what, just like you said, it's a beautiful thing in that way. If you can think of it that way.
1: And that definitely comes with time. Yeah. I, I don't know if you agree, Jamie, but
0: uh, no, absolutely. Definitely, yeah,
1: definitely. In the beginning, you kind of feel like you must put it back into lingerie, shoes, heels, hair.
2: Well, there is a little bit of initial investment you have to make,
1: right? Oh, one hundred percent. But as the years go on and yeah. as the money grows, mm-hmm. you start to
0: realize there are other things that you could use this money on. Why? Well, and now I'm. I have to preface this with another qualifier. I'm only going to speak for myself now, but I know that I didn't come from, like, the best beginnings. Eh, how I was raised, where I come from, child of divorce, all kinds of nasty things, mm-hmm. right? And coming from, you know, living, you know, I wouldn't even say middle class, but, like, just above the poverty line. Mm-hmm. And that, like, kind of tempers your brain to, like, when you do come into money. Right. And you do, like, you find this magic box that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of like learning and making mistakes and time to- Be responsible with it. To be responsible with it. Right. To be responsible with it. I don't know if it's the same way for you or for you. Why not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. The whole thing is uh, a discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just the experience of being able to do this in and of itself is a discipline if you come from not such advantageous beginnings. One hundred percent. They don't tell you about taxes. Yeah, they don't tell. <laughs> they don't tell you about taxes.
1: <laughs> it is one thing to fill out taxes as like a regular Schmegler Joe that has a regular Schmegler job, and you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I can, I can fill out taxes as a sex worker." Like it's just taxes, but like you're a self-employed now, yep. and that's such a fucking headache in the U- in the eyes of the U.S. government. It seems it is such a headache, and like I, I hate doing my taxes, but I do them
0: the irs if you're listening <laughs> of course you do and they, they they do they give people that are like on the on the cusp of legality they give you ways to pay taxes it's just how you label yourself so i'm an independent contractor that there's so many subcategories that you can go under so now i'm a performance artist ah they don't ask you what you do now all of a sudden you're a performance artist right and th- Because they they even want, of course, they want criminals to pay taxes. Al Capone got Uh busted Mm -hmm. for tax evasion. There are literal, like our government's corrupt. They give you loopholes. If you are just outside of the law or you bend in some rules, they make sure that there's a way that even you can pay taxes. Even if you're just purely an escort in the most illegal place to escort, you can still find a way to Mm -hmm. pay taxes. You better find a way because they will come and get it. They'll they look straight at your bank account. And if you make over a certain amount every year, they'll call again. you on it. They'll yeah. call you on it. Now, I'm about to uh, shift a little bit. Ooh. But, well, because there's something that um, I've been waiting all this, like, for you to come on the podcast to ask you mm-hmm. about this. Because it might just be something that I made up in my head. Okay. You know, I only see what I see from social media. Right. right? So I have incomplete stories. <laughs> but I want to ask you this. It seems, Mm -hmm. from the outside looking in, that you have experience or knowledge of, like, drag culture. Ah, yeah. I want to know all about that and how Mm
1: -hmm. it ties into your job. So, when I was around 17, I was living in South Carolina, this little town in South Carolina, and there were approximately two gay bars. And one of them had drag. Oh, God. My days of drag, I look on very fondly. Um, it was so fun to just play dress up. And that's kind of where I, I guess that's where I, I had leftover um, <laughs> leftover drag. And that's definitely where a lot of my first cam stuff came from. Because um, it was just like leftover stuff from I when I was it. doing drag. Yeah. And, but my my days in drag were probably my... <sighs> Very fun days. I don't go to the club. I don't do clubs. I don't do bars. I'm much too much of an old lady. But if you're telling me that I get to perform a four minute song in some random shit that I just bought, I will be there. I will be there promptly on time, and I will perform like nobody's fucking business. It's it's just so fun. That's I don't that know that what it is. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is, and a little bit yeah. of the voyeur in me too. Yeah. I. It's such a good time. It's like some sort of like twisted
0: karaoke. Right. I don't know. I've always loved drag and I always will. Well, I got to ask, how does that, I want to be very clear here, does that at all tie into transition? Oh, What did that mean for you? So honestly, anything? I felt, I
1: do feel like my drag sort of tied into my transition. I feel like around 16, I knew I was not a boy. Around Oh no, not 16. Around 16, I knew I wanted to start telling people that I wasn't a boy around fucking like
0: five, I knew I wasn't a boy. Right. Action took place around um, puberty and Mm -hmm. early Mm -hmm. to mid-teens. Right. And I was
1: very much still kind of in boy mode, but to be quite honest, I never really was in boy mode. I wore mascara since the time I was eight. Like I've never really been in boy mode, but I've always felt like I was because I never had hair or clothes or anything like that that signified anything like girly. Um, And then I saw drag and I was like, oh, wait. Okay, those are girly clothes, and not many people are going to see me at this random bar. This seems like a good a good spot to do this, and I did. And then, like within months, I just started going full girl all the time. There was like it felt like gave you a sense of confidence, yeah. Or even just like I'd already done it. Mm-hmm. Like I'd already, I'd already, I'd already been out in a dress that people would consider a girl dress or a top that people consider a girl top. And I mean, people hated me for it, but people didn't like, not everybody hated me for it. Right. I didn't, I felt pretty good. So why not just do it all the time? And I did. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is great. And yeah, in the middle of South Carolina, people really weren't feeling it, Mm. but also, damn, there was really nothing you can tell me. Once, especially once I hit started doing drag, there was nothing anybody can say to me. I felt so powerful. So
0: it felt like, um, and again, correct me if I get this wrong, but you you did find this community. Maybe it took place inside this room in this bar, in this room in this bar, but that served as a, a safe space, yeah, so where you could actually blossom. Yeah, I saw you know what it is. Yeah, I
1: saw the drag and the pretty dresses people were putting on as armor. I saw it as ways that they were protecting themselves from the things that people were obviously going to say to them why they were dressed like that. And I realized that I could use that armor all the time. You know, I could, you know, feel empowered in clothes that people don't think that I should be wearing all the time. And so I really just took that. And even when I stopped doing drag, I really just took that and tried to feel that as much as I
0: can all the time. I love that for you. I, I could do that, I ask was there a reason to stop doing it? I moved away from South Carolina. Did you feel, was it a sense of like maybe graduation or was it circumstantial?
1: No, because I still kind of, I still kind of want to do it. It's just that I live in New York City now and the competition is so stiff. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I, That's where the ball is. It's only a matter, from. yeah, it's only a matter of time before some girl tells me my dress is ugly and I go home crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't done it yet and I've been so busy with porn that I've just like not thought about it in so long. But if, if anybody ever asked me to perform at their bar Bam.
0: and gave me money at this mm-hmm. point in my life, then yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I, would totally uh, awesome. <laughs> I would totally That's awesome. I cool. would totally matter of days. Again, just like I said, we're gonna do Quentin Tarantino. Now we're gonna <laughs> skip ahead to today. What are you up to today? What's what what do you have projects going on? Or are you just like making your roles through the trade scene or you got some studio shoots coming up or I've got some uh, studio shoots coming up, but They're all to,
1: I really have some ideas really in my head. That's pretty much all I've got right now. No projects in the work, but I really want to do some scary stuff. I really want to, yeah, I really want to do some horror stuff, some messed
0: up, fucked up stuff.
2: Yeah, We're talking about like, uh, like, like. Fetish porn, like 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 horror porn, or are we talking about like? Want
0: to make a real movie, real, I, or
2: like oh, a real? Okay, I,
1: I there's there's an idea that I have for a straight movie, straight movie, a movie, mm-hmm. you know, um, not just straight people, not straight people. Um, and then I there's an idea I have for a horror porn. Um, so literally just both. Oh God, I don't know. They they feel just like ideas to me right now.
0: I remember back in two thousand nine. I wanted to do this. Uh, I wanted to mix porn and horror and put together a narrative that was going to last about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. something that fits on a DVD. And I spent so many years, probably six different scripts, a bunch of rewrites. And all I found was that if I tried to make a horror movie mm-hmm. in the way that seemed like legitimate and I was all in about it, it seemed like it would just be interspersed every few minutes with a 20-minute sex scene Mm. that, of course, was related to the horror movie, or I would think of it this way. I'd have this hour-and-a-half-long porn that was interspersed with a real horror movie, Mm -hmm. and I got so frustrated, I dropped the project. It was called Object. Ooh. It was essentially the reanimator meets Silence of the Lambs kind of thing. Nice. Okay. To me, I said, yeah, nice, too. But then I... I just, every time I tried, I just looked at it and I said, who's the audience? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be a bunch of fucking horny dudes that just skip past all the hard work. Right, right. You know, and it's like, I got a porn and it's being interrupted by a really good horror movie. Mm. Or I got a really good horror movie that's interrupted by... Uh, God, why is this sex scene? Oh, Lord. It, that's, that was always the problem that I thought when I was trying to like have the very best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, some things are chocolate and peanut butter. That's true. That is very And some true. things are chocolate and mayonnaise. And there was no such kind of script I could write. And again, maybe you can do it better. Maybe this is a signal of my ignorance or maybe I just need to learn a little more. But I couldn't find a way to get the best of both worlds mm-hmm. that like, would service either audience. Something had to be given up on one end or the other to make what would essentially be a mid thing. And then all I'd be able to say about it is, uh, tie my name, oh, uh, 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 porn with really good camera. And and, (laughs) and it would (laughs) essentially just be played promotionally to the porn industry. And then it seemed like a vanity project. And that's not what I want to do. God, I'm either going to make a real porn movie, mm-hmm. or I'm going to make a real horror movie. I feel that you know, so it's kind of tough to mix those two elements
1: when you're when you're scared. Especially, it could it can be either really hard to come out of that, like you don't want to come out of that scaredness, and anything that interrupts that feels disjointed mm-hmm. and weird. Right. Or it um, or or it's very easy to come out of, like as soon as the porn starts, then like oh god, I'm not scared anymore. Like this, like they
0: can never get back into the scariness. You know, the beautiful thing about a horror movie is that it resonates so well with an audience because you're addressing something primal, Mm -hmm. and there is absolutely room for sex in that. This is Mm -hmm. why, like Friday the Thirteenth, has uh, you kill teenagers having sex. Yeah, you know, but it's never explicit in the way that porn is, right? You know, there's always room for sex in a horror movie, but it still has to be a horror movie. Yeah, at the end of the day,
2: case in point, look at X. Sex is a very, very um, uh, mending together of them as much, I think, as you can successfully mm. unless you're just, you know, got that idea that hasn't hit yet, you know, that hasn't came through yet. It's very much um, very short sex scenes, but only for the story narrative to, le- to let right. you know where they are in the story.
0: I, I think there there is a third sideways option. And that is to make a porn that – well, there's to make a, a porn where the violence and the gore of a horror movie services the porn scenes so that you're selling essentially a hugely fetishistic right. product so, for right. fucked up people. Right. That want to, like, right. have s- – that that tie sex and violence together. It's oh, yeah, like yeah. You can do your pseudo
2: stuff snuff porn and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, no. Oh, Lord. Well, and they say niches make riches. Yeah. So it, it might very well sell a whole lot. But oh, yeah. as a, a person that wants to tell stories first and foremost, mm-hmm. and every director, it's a tale as old as time, you start with a horror movie. Yeah. You start with a horror movie because you it, the cost is low in order to, you know, hit that primal mark for a general audience. Right. And- it takes a lot of the weight off of, uh, like, maybe something that's like comedy or drama. Mm-hmm. And so that seems to be everybody's, like, first endeavor. But, like, to mix it with, like, out and out porn, I just don't think there's a winning combination for that.
1: True. And it, it may, I mean, it may, and it, it just may require people sort of just doing it. Because you've got to know your you – you, mm-hmm. you won't know your mistakes or you won't even know what questions to ask until – Those examples. Exactly. Yeah. So it is one of those things, and it's one, especially one of those things that, like, sex workers have to experiment with, I feel, if they want to, because mostly we just experiment with porn. We just see mm-hmm. what works with porn or we know what works with porn, mm-hmm. so we just kind of do it. And horror, drama, comedy, all those things mm-hmm. require experimentation. Mm-hmm. They yeah. require you to, like, pretty much fail – Mm. To yeah. get to the, learn from your snakes, yeah, to get to the one
0: that actually is pretty good mm. and fail on the cheap is what I say. <laughs> right. Do yeah. the yeah. Do, do the weird wacky idea. Don't spend a whole lot of money on it. 100%. See, because if there is something there and it fails, mm-hmm. you can also see the parts that worked. Fail on the cheap and then learn from those lessons. One hundred percent. That's what I say. I, I, it still takes. It's still going to take a lot of your time, mm-hmm. still, a, lot of your, gonna, a yeah. lot of your energy, a lot of your energy
2: funny thing i wanted to say yeah, uh you you started shooting that or trying to shoot that in what year uh
0: 2009
2: and we met in 2012 and that was one of the
0: first things i did for you <laughs> yeah oh yeah you were, oh, you were we, in that one there are scenes in the bucket there are oh, porn wow. scenes in the bucket i have an, int- and i'll show you this after mm-hmm. i'll show you this after i want to point to you now that people that are listening and watching won't see this but i'm gonna point over there you see that skull thing over there Mm-hmm. okay that is a that is a uh Maquette, that is a puppet that I have that is built for the movie. And I actually built a sizzle reel using this puppet over there um, and created a whole thing that I'll show you and show that like the chops are there to like make Mm -hmm. something that looks horrifying. But that's like, I just got bits and pieces that I've recorded over the years Mm -hmm. through like six different scripts. And it's just chaos and nonsense because at the end of the day, it's just like I said before. The overall thing would have, wouldn't would have worked. I was mm-hmm. going to try to build a movie on mushy foundations. Mm-hmm. Is essentially what happened. First of all, guys, I got to say, I love this. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking that's at the sick.
2: clock. No way. Oh.
0: We are. We are. This I'm has been kidding. such an amazing that's thing. That's crazy. I know. Because that's good conversation. Yeah, that's wow. how you know. Yeah. But we're not just going to end it. Um, we've done enough of these. And I've probably said this spiel. 17 times now. Part but we have to, we have to do it because yeah. it's just part, part of, the of the show. Flavor of this season of the Approximate podcast. We have a professional in the room and I got to ask you, mm-hmm. another, another gear shift. <laughs> if there were three pieces of advice from your perspective that you could give an up and comer about this industry, it could be pragmatic, it could be coming from a point of annoyance, mm-hmm. it can just be wherever your guts feel three pieces of advice that you can give to an up-and-comer what would those three pieces of advice be Mm, okay
1: um first of all you should you should genuinely just be nice to everyone in this industry you don't know who your producer is going to be you don't know who your talent's going who the next talent's going to be next to you uh for the next scene you don't know who the director's going to be on the next scene you need to be nice to the people in this industry as nice as you can be and network um number two um Oil. <laughs> Oiling yourself up is like a classic porn star secret, and you always will look good no matter what you do if you're oiled up. It's Love it. Just, <laughs> you're just gonna look fantastic, gorgeous, beautiful, booty cheeks flapping everywhere.
2: There's a reason shiny rhymes with hiney. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And last one um, is water. If you're gonna be camming on, or if you're gonna be camming for long periods of time, you want to stay hydrated. And if you're going to be coming for long periods of time while you're using dodos or such, you want to make sure you're nice and douched because it is a long, long time and that's a long intestine and you need to make sure it's clean.
0: <laughs> I think as an addendum to that, you know, preparedness. So, mm-hmm. you know what seems coming up. Mm-hmm. Watch what you eat. You, uh, I think for just for everybody watching, especially, you know, not just fuck the fans. You guys fuck off. <laughs> but like- up-and-coming professionals Mm -hmm. and people that are in sex work. Break the fantasy for a second. Right. (laughs) Let's let's break the fourth wall for just (laughs) a second here. And say that every sex worker that uses their bottom to Mm -hmm. do anything, you should know that generally for most people, everybody's different, but for most people on the whole, it takes about 24 hours to digest a meal. So if you know you have a scene coming up You should be very, number one, cognizant of planning. Planning is everything. This guarantees success. If you can plan, that's 90% of the work. So if you know you have a scene or a client or somebody that's going to use your bottom, coming up, mind what you eat 24 hours in advance. Mm -hmm. And then just like you said, Dee, uh, learn how to use a douche. Learn how to use your... Fleet Enema. Yeah, you know, um, clean yourself out. Take a few hours before that appointment, before that scene. Know that you didn't eat any less than twenty four hours beforehand. And then once your gut has done its job, Mm -hmm. you go in and you douche. And and don't be pressured about it. Take like I I do this to this day. I haven't not used a douche. Mm -hmm. Well, just day to day, going to the restroom. I haven't not used a douche in 15 years. Mm -hmm. I take that Fleet Enema. I'll just fill it with warm water. Yeah. I'll just fill it with warm water and just make sure that every time I use the restroom, whether or not I have a scene, I just make a good practice. Oh, yeah? So rinse out, rinse out, rinse out. It only takes a few minutes, you know, and I know that I'm always clean. It just feels nice. Mm -hmm. Just first and foremost, just like for yourself as a person. It just feels nice to feel clean. And your stomach feels, my stomach feels very good once I'm like completely cleaned out. I'm like, wow, I feel very like empty, but in a good way. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And that's one less thing that you have to think about or worry about, that sense of anxiety on set. When you know some, maybe most often not, some stranger. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be back there. Yeah, you know, Pound, manipulating going to your town. body. Go into town. Okay, right? You don't know. You don't know. So you want to be as prepared mentally and emotionally. Yeah, because and if you're worried, of, like in your head, if you're worried about, oh my god, oh my god, oh my,
1: is 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 it clean back there? Yeah, you your butthole your is not just like back there. relaxed. Like you're back there twitching. Mm-hmm. Like, we can we can all tell that you're nervous and it like it. It shows. shows up on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it shows that you're nervous, even if you are just nervous about something menial,
0: like your douche not working or something like that. I, I, let me put a nice bow on it, like this.
2: Like to add something to that right there.
0: And oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
2: So also, there's a Facilium husk you can take too, which will make you more regular. So you'll take your business in like one specific time a day, and everything comes out at once. So you don't have as much work to do when you have to do your cleaning.
1: And fiber is so important. Like there is. There are very few human beings on this earth that get their daily intake fiber as much as they should. And fiber will save your poops like nobody's business. If you're having like a bad stomach problems, look at your fiber intake. Look at the cookies that you're eating or the crackers that you're eating. A lot of crackers have zero fiber. Zero. And you can get, but you can get crackers that that do. Like you just have, like fiber will save your stomach.
0: All of these things are amazing pieces of advice, but they all boil down to this one thing, and that is if you're going to take this job seriously for those that are using their bottom, planning and organization is everything. The details, you can figure out. Mm -hmm. Google some advice. Research preparation. Buy some some preparation age. Buy a fucking laxative. Do a thing. The the, the details are going to be part and parcel of your due diligence, Mm -hmm. but it all falls under the umbrella of being prepared and being organized with your time yeah. to treat this job as professionally as possible. It does a great job for those that are not you on set, your producing team, your male or, or any any talent. Yeah. Any talent. And then especially for you so that you can be at most of peace of mind mm-hmm. as you're trying to do your job. Yeah. Because the punchline at the end of all this shit is opening dudes wallets. Yeah. <laughs> so make your job as easy as possible. With all of that being said, V, is there, is there anything else that you want to say? God, I don't think so. I think, we've, I think we covered this it all. it has been
1: amazing. This I love this. has been this. such a good time. V,
2: I love how you you named elementals. You said oil and
1: water. <laughs> oil and water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the essentials.
0: Oh yeah. You can get them at any grocery store. There <laughs> you go. Guys, I cannot wait to have you back on. Um, I can't wait to get you back on. (laughs) Please come. With that being said, everybody that's listening, everybody that's watching, thank you so much for being a part of this episode of the Approxima podcast. And we will see you guys very soon with the next episode. All right. Everybody say bye. Bye.